A major announcement in Tennessee's U.S. Senate seats yet again. Welcome to Grand Divisions. This is the week of December 17th. I'm Joel Ebert. I'm Natalie Allison. All right, big news today. Uh, U.S. Senator Lamar Alexander, the longtime U.S. Senator from Tennessee and former governor, uh, decided that he is not going to run for 2020 re-election. This was certainly a surprise for some. I think a lot of other Republican insiders were expecting a decision. Uh, Certainly, Lamar Alexander alluded that he was going to make one uh, before the end of the year. Yeah, now we finally know. Everyone is sort of wondering, I think, his decision has has sort of uh, been a deciding factor on who would get in the race. So now that now that it's out there, I think we'll we'll figure out soon who could replace him. Shortly before the news broke, we had set up an interview with uh, Senator Alexander at his Nashville office, and I was kind of going in blind. I didn't really know what I was walking into, and then we get hit with a uh, press release from his office making the announcement. So we were, I believe, one of the first or the first uh, uh, news organization to go in there uh, and interview him. So we're going to play excerpts of that interview uh, that I did with David. David Plazas, the opinion and engagement editor here at the Tennessean, and my editor, Dwayne Gang. Uh, so we were the three of us sitting in Lamar Alexander's office. Here's an explanation as to why he isn't going to run in 2020. Well, what, what I thought about was, you know, every, uh, everybody has a turn if they're fortunate. Ecclesiastes teaches us that everything has a season. And what went into my thinking was that uh, the people of Tennessee have been really generous to me. They've, I, I didn't realize this until this past summer. I, I go fishing in Canada in August, and I use that time to think. I don't think about politics usually. And I, I did some research, and I realized that I will have served longer as governor and senator than anybody in Tennessee history. And I, and I, I admire people who know when to leave. And I think it's better to leave when you're hitting 400 than some other time. So even though I think I'm doing things as well as I ever have, and I get up every day thinking I'm going to make some difference, and usually do, uh, it seemed to me that three terms in the Senate after two terms as governor was enough, and it was time for somebody else to have a turn. So that's it. And I've got, I was thinking, I told the staff this morning, I called them. At 11 o'clock, we have a weekly staff call, which on on that video right there, and our various offices. And I told them that President Reagan tried to get me to run for the Senate in 1984 when Senator Baker uh, stepped down after three terms as majority leader at the time. And um, I was in my second term as governor, and I didn't even think about it because I wanted to finish my term. And looking back, I got 80% of my best work done for the state in my second term when everybody knew I was leaving. So I've got two more years. I'm chairman of two big committees. Um, I'm able to get results, and I'm still going to try in the next couple of years. So those, those were all the things that went through my mind. When did you say you reached the decision? I mean, was it you know the last couple of months? Were there any precipitating events that led to this? No, or? no, I decided in August. Okay. And I didn't tell anybody. On because that fishing trip? On the, oh, yeah, on, on the fishing trip. I decided then that this was enough and that it was time to bring it to an end. 
hopefully on a good note. Like I said, hopefully hitting 400. And I didn't tell anybody because uh, I wanted to let it simmer and make sure it was the right decision. So only in the last few days have I told anybody. Where in Canada were you fishing? We go to a place called Bending Lake on Turtle River. And I try to go every August. Senator McConnell really screwed it up this year <laughs> and uh, cut me back <laughs> to about one week. <laughs> Usually I can go for a little longer, but I had long enough to think about it. Well, you know, when I get into, I've been in a lot of campaigns and I have a pretty good record, you know, I'm six for six in primaries, right. going back to 1974. I never take them for granted. And I knew that if I ran for re-election, it would be like starting over again. I always think of it that way. So I would have been all over the state. I enjoy that. I mean, that would be fun to me. I mean, I would think back over my race for governor. I spent the night with 73 different families along that walk. And I still know the families. And it gave me a connection with the people of Tennessee that, that even lasts today. But I wouldn't have relied on that. But, and I, I don't want to be presumptuous, and you'll need to ask other you know, ask Scott Golden or Ward Baker or the Trump White House, but I think I would have been in pretty good shape uh, in the Republican primary and in the general election. You know, I've won the last two with 62, 65 percent of the vote. So while I would have been prepared for a tough race, um, it, I would have made my announcement today and I would have done everything I could to get the president's support, uh, to discourage opposition to raise all the money I needed, and, and I think I would have been okay. But um, it may surprise people to know that I've never decided whether or not to run based on whether I thought I could win. If I had, I never would have been elected to anything because when I ran for president uh, in Iowa, Whit Ayers came in and said, uh, this is after I was governor and education secretary and been to Iowa 50 times says Dole 54, margin of error, uh, Alexander 3, margin of error 4. It says, what, what does one do in a case like that? And so within six months it was changed. So no, there, the, I, I've had tough races before. I mean, if you want to see a tough race, you should have seen the 1978 governor's race with Jake Butcher. I mean, that was like two race cars neck and neck uh, going down the last, last track and so I'm accustomed to that and here's a little bit more when we press them on who might run for the spot in uh, 2020 this was very difficult to do and President Obama called it a Christmas miracle and the Wall Street Journal said it was the biggest devolution of power from Washington to the states in 25 years and I said I'm not known as a very ideological person, but if there were one ideology that I would subscribe to, it would be that Washington should decide less and states should decide more. And it's hard to do. Even a lot of Republicans, once they get to Washington, have a good idea and think they ought to be able to impose it on everybody. So that's one. Two would be the 21st century cures legislation, which was President uh, Senator McConnell said that was the most important legislation of the last Congress. And I believe it was because it, it gave to the National Institution, Institutes of Health and the Food and Drug Administration a, a whole bunch of new tools and funding to get these medical miracles, cancer cures, 
uh, gene editing, all of, all of these things that cure diseases through the system faster into the medicine cabinet and the doctor's office at a lower cost. And we're going to be seeing the benefits of that law for the next several years. And I think third will probably be the uh, landmark opioids legislation that we just did. We had 75 senators, 72 senators working on that in, uh, in September and the president called it the most important law uh, dealing with the drug crisis that we've ever passed. So those, those three things. There are a couple of other things that mean a lot to me. Is, is I have this other job as chairman of the Energy and Water Appropriations Subcommittee, but it doesn't sound like much. But through that comes subcommittee comes all the money for the national laboratories, for supercomputing, and for the Office of Science. And so for four straight years, we've had record funding for the Office of Science, the supercomputing, and national laboratories. People don't know that. I had a friend from Nashville who said it's a shame that the Congress isn't funding biomedical research. We're in the fourth straight year of record funding for biomedical research. Vanderbilt gets half a billion dollars a year for, for it. And that's not just my doing, but the doing of a lot of other people. So being chairman for six years, which it will be, of those two committees has given me a chance to, to, uh, to do a lot of things. If, if I could describe my job to people, I would say I've, I've been given the privilege of getting up every morning and thinking I could do something good during the day for the state or the country and going to bed most nights thinking that I have. And most of those things people will never know about, but I know about them. And that's why I'm still looking forward to the next two years and while I feel it's a great privilege to be where I am, I have no, not only do I have no regrets, I just feel like a very lucky person to be there. And will the uh, red plaid shirt come out at all during the uh, next two years? Well, it's always there. The red plaid shirt is useful if I ever get too full of myself. <laughs> when I was governor and I got too full of myself, the staff would say, you need to go put on your shirt and go back out and spend the night with somebody, to, you know, and get your feet back on the ground. So, so I used to wear it at Mule Day every year, but they stopped letting politicians walk in Mule Day, so I don't know why, but... In Columbia. Huh? In Columbia, yeah. I, I, I wore it every year. I know your time is limited and about running out, but is there anybody you would like to see get in the race to, you know, succeed you? Well, I'm, thanks for thanks for asking that. Um, I learned a long time ago that people didn't elect me to tell them who to vote for, so I'm not going to try to to do that. There, there. Let me answer your question this way: There's some obvious candidates. In fact, we have a whole barn full of talent in the Republican Party now. The two most obvious candidates are, of course, Governor Haslam. I mean, every poll shows him knocking the top out uh, among Republicans as well as Democrats and Independents. He's had a terrific eight years. He's been in touch with every county, so uh, he can raise unlimited amounts of money. But the question is whether he wants to do it or not. So. He would be one. Another one, not as well known, would be Ambassador Haggerty, um, who is President Trump's ambassador to Japan. Um, he is very close to the president. Um, he was head of his transition team. He's done a terrific job in 
Japan. I don't think anybody in Washington would want him to come home. Uh, but he grew up in Gallatin. He had three good years here as head of economic and community development. So I hear his name talked about in case I didn't run and Governor Haslam didn't run. But then you've got almost all the congressmen. I mean, Congressman Rowe, Congressman Fleischman, um, some of the newer congressmen are interested. Um, Cong former Congressman Fincher thought about running before. Um, and then look at Bill Lee. There may be, who's the next Bill Lee? There may be someone who we don't know who, who might uh, break through the primary. So it's, uh, Senate seats don't come up very often. And I imagine it'll attract a large number of candidates, but, and I think I'll let the people sort that out and I'll focus my attention on healthcare costs and, and uh, seeing the college degree can be made more worth it. <laughs> so as we heard, Governor Bill Haslam and Bill Haggerty, the current U.S. Ambassador to Japan, are two possibly top contenders for this role, at least from the GOP side. Uh, but other names are certainly circulating, and they have been in, in recent months, uh, for sure. Joel, who are some of the other GOP contenders that we can expect? Yeah, I would say, namely, uh, Senator, State Representative and former State Senator Mark Green. Uh, we had heard uh, throughout this campaign, while he was running for the U.S. Senate, or the... the, the uh, while he was running for the uh, for Congress, that he was considering running for the U.S. Senate in 2020. So it wouldn't be shocking if Green gets in the race. But it's important to note he hasn't even been sworn in yet. That's right. That is right. Um, and and he is a he's a guy who. Senator Alexander not necessarily took a shot at the other day, but uh, you could argue that sort of <laughs> responded to Mark Green's vaccine remarks on Twitter himself um, by by announcing that vaccines don't cause autism. Uh, besides Mark Green, Manny Sethi, he's a name that we're hearing a lot of today as a possible contender. He's a he's a physician here in Nashville. Yes, yeah, um, he has a nonprofit. And and Sethi was widely considering a, a bid for the uh, the seat that Corker uh, said that he wouldn't run for again. Uh, it just didn't seem to be the right timing for him. So uh, he's uh, doesn't have the name recognition that some of these other folks do. But money can go a lot long way. And I, from what I hear, he's got some behind him that would certainly help his effort in a, in a potential run. Sure. Uh, a few a few other names. Diane Black. She's the outgoing congresswoman here. She of course ran for governor, didn't win. Uh, have you heard any anything about her chances there? So far, the only thing I've heard is that uh, Diane's office was a little bit frustrated that they didn't get a heads up from uh, Senator Alexander. So, uh, you know, I, I don't know if that's true. I haven't asked her people that, but we're not really on the best of terms after the uh, <laughs> what they call the bruising primary coverage. Uh, <laughs> Congressman David Kustoff, his his office confirmed that he is exploring the possibility of putting his name in. Um, you know, Stephen Fincher, he's Fincher, he's a he's a former uh, congressman. He, of course, considered running for a corker seat as well. Yeah, he, uh, Fincher was briefly in the race. Ultimately, decided that he he couldn't, uh, you know, contend against Marsha Blackburn in the 2018 race. Uh, of course, this is not an exhaustive list. One name we can cancel off is Randy Boyd. He's out. Um, he has sent us a, a statement that essentially says he's going to focus on his time as the interim president of UT, and he has no intentions to get in the 2020 race. And then, of course, there are the Democrats who, regardless of what Alexander was doing, going to do, or maybe some of them were considering, um, will also, of course, 
have to challenge whoever the Republicans put up. Uh, sort of at the top of the list, I think, as far as rumors and speculation, has been Chattanooga Mayor Andy Burke. Um, yeah, yeah, he's been uh, at least the, the biggest name that I've heard, you know, even before this decision was uh, made, uh, that he had been eyeing this seat. And again, he's kind of somebody that doesn't necessarily have statewide name recognition, but the Democratic bench is not that deep uh, compared to the Republicans. So I think you always turn to sort of the Nashville mayor, the uh, yeah. you know the Chattanooga mayor, folks like that who are kind of the the next tier of Democrats that um, could run for statewide office. Yeah, I reached out to his office. They put out a pretty vague statement uh, this afternoon. He didn't deny you know that he was considering it. So I think it's safe to assume that's still something he is considering. You know, other names that have been floated: Jeff Yarbrough. He's a state senator. He's from Nashville as well. Um, you know, some people say maybe John Ray Clemens, he's another, uh, representative from Nashville would be considering it, but we, we think he's more interested in the Nashville mayor position, Mm -hmm. uh, Senator, state Senator Sarah Kyle. She says she's also, um, looking at the possibility of running and don't forget James Mackler, James Mackler. He he is the one who raised a million dollars when he put his hat in the ring last time when he was going to challenge a Republican for Corker seat. All that being said, I mean, we may be missing some folks. I, I don't know that you would immediately quickly hear that Phil Bredesen is going to run another bid in 2020. <laughs> we did put him on the um, list, though. I, I don't know that you're going to hear a Megan Barry, the former Nashville mayor, would run for that. All of these things are a possibility, though. I mean, uh, we're not in the, the business of speculating, but, you know, we're in a wait and see mode right now. Heck, because Carl Dean's got nothing to do now. <laughs> There you go. There you go. So it, it, let's move beyond who could run. But what is what is this race? Not necessarily the race, but what does it mean for Alexander to be departing uh, from this seat that he, you know, obviously is a known quantity in Tennessee? Well, you know, a lot of people would say it is the end of an era. He represented this line of, of moderate politicians here in Tennessee. And just like, you know, we saw with Corker's departure with with Marsha Blackburn taking his role, that's She's firebrand conservative. She's not this moderating voice in politics um, that I think a lot of people would say Alexander is as well. Yeah, when we were talking to Alexander uh, during this interview, he essentially said that he wasn't afraid to run in a primary, that he always treats every election as if it's his first. Um, and so if you know you, you think that he ran or is not running because of fear that he might get primaried by somebody like Mark Green, who is a little bit more conservative, some would say, uh, he essentially said that that's not accurate. Uh, he also said that, uh, I, I was a little surprised to hear this, that he got a phone call from uh, President Trump uh, which you can hear about here. I called President Trump yesterday afternoon. I was, we, I, Honey and I took our grandchildren to see a Christmas carol in Knoxville. We were driving back. And he called me back in about 30 minutes and, and said, um, well, Marsha got elected, and that was good. And I, and I said, yes, and you helped her. And he said, I think I did. And then he said, now let's talk about your serving another 20 years. I said, Mr. President, I'm calling to tell you that I'm not going to run for re-election. He said, why is that? And I told him, and just what I've told you. And he said, well, I understand. Congratulations. And we'll, we'll find ways to work together the next two years. So, um, so you told him yesterday? I told him yesterday about 5.30. And he didn't tweet about it? I told I said I'd like to tell my staff first, and I'm I appreciate that 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 shows a strong sense of self discipline that I appreciate. And when Joel and I spoke with Governor Haslam just this afternoon about 
you know, whether he's going to jump in the race, he, of course, is at the top of the list. This is what he had to say. He, he said he wanted to, to keep the focus on Alexander right now, but he didn't rule it out. In terms of uh, in terms of me, I I really don't know the answer. I'm not saying that to blow it off. I will get you a, a, an answer uh, in the coming days. Uh, but you know, obviously, you want to think seriously about an opportunity like that. It's too important of a role, and I care too much about the future of our state and country uh, to not uh, at least seriously consider it. Uh, but you know, this early, that's that's. That's really all I can say. So it's at least fair to say, though, that you are considering it as a possibility. I, yeah, and again, I, I'll come out with with more down the road. But I, yeah, I think that that's definitely fair to say. Again, I think I, uh, I, I think enough about the importance of the role and kind of the critical time we face as a country, um, and how important it is for our state to have good people to serve in that role to not consider it. All of that being said, we are keeping an eye on who is getting in, who is getting out of the U.S. Senate race. We will keep you updated on all of that at the Tennessean and all of our USA Today properties. Uh, this has been the latest episode of Grand Divisions. We've got several more planned before uh, the upcoming legislature, including a sit-down with Governor Bill Haslam. Uh, we're hoping to get you some audio of an interview I did recently with uh, Senator Bob Corker. Both of them are looking to leave office next month. Uh, but as usual, we appreciate your continued listenership. You can find Grand Divisions on iTunes, where we hope you continue to rate us. That really helps us uh, for reasons I can't really adequately explain, <laughs> but it does. Uh, this uh, podcast has been produced by Erica Whitney. And as usual, you can find us on Tuesdays uh, and online on Twitter at Grand Divisions 3. I'm Joel Ebert. And I'm Natalie Allison. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time.